I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Kia ora, no mai, haere mai, and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. I'm Ross Carl, joined as always by James Parsons in Auckland and Bryn Hall as well. We've had a weekend without international football and plenty of solid domestic stuff in New Zealand. We had the FPC final. We've had a Radfully Shield game where Jimmy's cousin, well, he played an absolute barnstormer again, so we've got to give him <laughs> two minutes of the show to wax lyrical about his cousin. We'll talk a little bit about Sam Kane and the All Blacks, about the USA, the Wallabies. Got a fair few things to get through in this show, but let's start with Sam Kane's return. It was pretty cool, I have to say, watching him on Sky coming out for King Country and playing in a Heartland Championship game against Whanganui. Guys, let's start with you, Jipper. What did you make of Sam Kane's return? And, and what did you make of the idea of returning through Heartland Championship rugby? Oh, I think it was exciting for everyone. It certainly made me watch the game and um, see how he's uh, tracking. But uh, he, looked, he looked pretty good. He would have been doing a lot of uh, fitness work and, and no doubt um, nailing all his Broncos. But there's... Uh, some reason when you do all that fitness work, uh, it doesn't always transpire into that rugby fitness. So he would have got a lot out of it um, and probably a good stepping stone uh, for him heading into probably playing against the US. Uh, and he made, made a few typical Sam Kane um, turnovers and a couple of good carries uh, and, and, you know, got through got through the game, I think, was probably the biggest goal, is got through mm. um, iron in, in his chest and peck. Uh, you know, sustain the impact and, and, as I said, gives them good lead up to, to the USA fixture. Um, thinking about that kind of the return at a completely different level, Bryn, I mean, you've probably returned a couple of times through club rugby on your way to super rugby. You know, outside of just getting game time, what can you work on in games where structures are completely different and the standard is completely different? Mm. Yeah, it is. I think, yeah, it's not the, the ideal preparation-wise that you would have in a normal week. But um, I think for Sam, it would be more so just for him being able to get back on the field. He even saw with his post that, um, you know, had six months off and was really looking forward to just getting the opportunity to get out and, and play. And, you know, those kind of games, you, you just want to get through what you need to do. So, you know, have a few runs, have a few tackles, get a few turnovers, get your body moving, just getting that, that game fitness because look, you can run as many broken Broncos, um, fitness tests and MAS sessions, but, you know, that contact, back-to-back contact, and being able to get up and, and play game game situation football uh, is a lot different. And, and to be honest, in that kind of level, um, you, he's probably tend to do a little bit more as well, you know, covering guys' covering guys um, asses a little bit and probably doing a little bit more than you would at, um, at Super Rugby. But that's good because it only adds to the fitness of being able to get that game fitness and probably doing a little bit more. So um, the fact that he didn't get injured and um, did a few things that they were accustomed to seeing Sam Kane do, um, it's probably a great result for him before getting that 40, 50 minutes before he goes over and plays a test match, hopefully against the, um, the Eagles coming out very shortly. Is it easy to get your rhythm on in that environment, you know, in the way that you, you normally would because of the differences in the way that the teams play? I think the fact that he's, um, you know, he's a, he's a senior, senior professional as well, you know, so I think he's got a pretty good understanding of what his, what his week looks like or what, what his game will look like in his preparation um, to do that, even though it's not an ideal situation where you would usually in Super Rugby or even all-black environment. So the fact that he is experienced and has a good understanding of um, what his prep like looks like for the game and how to get himself ready to be physically and mentally uh, ready. So, um, yeah, I think that would have been all good. He just would have had a few things that he wanted to nail up. First and foremost, 
getting some minutes in, getting the old lungs burning, getting a few tackles in, a few turnovers, what, what you do as number seven going forward, and then getting off injury-free. And, and so all in all, it was a great day for him, and what a great day for King Country in that, um, in that community to be able to have um, an all-black captain, again, running out with your King Country jersey on. I think Even also, Rob, um, is his repeated efforts, yeah. is, is those back-to-back efforts. He might not be used or he might not be um, always within system, but it's those back-to-back efforts, getting back, getting set first, getting around the corner first. A couple of times he came around the corner and was probably in a really good position to carry, but then unfortunately it wasn't, um, you know, nailed at the breakdown. So it was, a, it was a turnover to Wanganui. But I think all those sorts of things, getting off the ground and, and those repeated efforts and those repeated sort of uh, physical, physically demanding uh, roles would have been huge for him. And, and obviously he set out for 40 minutes and he came out um, into the second half, which everyone was pretty excited about. So he, he was obviously enjoying himself out there. He obviously felt good physically uh, to keep going for another 10 or 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another All Black captain was quick to comment before that game, Buck Shelford, obviously an absolute legend, but he worried that, you know, Sam, who's had a couple of serious injuries over the last couple of years, is only one injury away from it being the end, I feel like we've heard this before with Richie McCaw and concussions and Ben Smith and all these other people. Is that a fair comment, do you think, Bryn? Oh, I think Buck's got a pretty good understanding around, you know, how physical our, our game is, but I think probably back in his time and where we've developed as a, as a rugby um, community is around the, um, the concussions and being able to put those protocols in place to be able to, to, be able to play safely, you know. So, yes, Sam has obviously had... Um, a few head knocks and, and injuries, and like all players do, but uh, obviously to the extent he's had a couple more than, than more than, than the usual, but um, there's great things in place with the All Blacks, the Chiefs, and the, the information and the kind of test that you do have to be able to put yourself in a position to, to play safely. And so, you know, like I said, probably back in Bucks Day, you know, they were, they, were, they were tougher and being able to have the old kind of mindset around, I'll be right, right, let's just get through it. When they're going through, obviously, through concussion symptoms, but um, in this day and age, you know, um, they're in a position to... First and foremost, putting the the players' safety at first, and we tend to do that a lot now in, the, in this day and age. But again, you know, he is he is right though. One big smack and the fact that he has had concussion problems in the past, it might have a um, it might have there might be a possibility. But I think we have a really good understanding around um, there are things in place to be able to have player safety at the forefront. I think as well, um, like he's a proven uh, solid healer. He, he himself puts it down to Dear Velvet. I don't know if that's always the case. I think it puts it a little bit down to his mental resilience. Um, but I, I would never back against him in terms of coming back from any. I think any player is one knock away. The reality that the of our sport at the moment, it's you know physically demanding or one injury away, whatever it, it may be. And, and I don't think it's healthy for players to think like that. You've just got to go out there and play. And he's in a really good uh, mindset uh, to keep playing that physical abrasive game that we know and love um, and, and I certainly uh, would be betting against that that comment just because of, of who he is and what he has come you know the neck itself that that's such an impressive uh, ability to come back and play test match level after that and it just shows where he's at um, and he knows his body best the individuals know your body and you know when you're right and there's no way he'd go down that field if he wasn't ready and um, I don't think you'd ever go out on that rugby field thinking, oh, you know, I'm on I'm, I'm one knock away or one injury away. Uh, he's just not built like that. Yeah, the deer velvet. It's classic, isn't it? The old Bob Charles deer velvet. I, I've, I looked into that at one point when I was a, a, a guy going to the gym and trying to get big and I failed at that. But, <laughs> uh, I got the deer velvet and I'd give it a spray in, you know, and apparently the velvet grows so quickly. It's got growth hormones and all that kind of stuff. I suppose as professional rugby players, Bryn, you get a fair few of these magical concoctions get thrown at you by companies. Well, what's the funniest one that's come your way? Oh, probably to the same same extent. I think Ethan Blackadder was was probably one. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he would um something that he with the cattle he'd he'd, he'd, he'd have something that um cattle have, and it's a yeah I'd, I'd take that um a couple of times a week and that kind of stuff. Obviously, it was a, must have been a joke, but yeah, Ethan Blackadder. Yeah, if there's one guy you want to probably want to talk around when it comes to cattle or farm kind of um ingredients, um he's probably a man to to try and connect with. And probably him and Scott Barrett actually. Him and Scott Barrett tend to have a few um a few laughs around that kind of that kind of stuff. Mate, I actually think there's something in there, Velvet, because um, leading to Tony Woodcock's last few years, he was a firm believer in the Deer Velvet. He reckoned it gave him extra years on his career. So I, I think there might be something in behind it. And I think um, Sam Kane's family uh, produces the Deer Velvet he takes. 
All right. Jesus, that's some good knowledge right there. There you go. Oh, mate, Woody was on the same batch. He loves it. He raves about it. <laughs> classic. Absolutely classic. I think, um, who was the gold? VJ Singles used to get on the Deer Velvet as well. I think that he felt that was the the living of his, his career through into his fifties or whenever he decided to switch to the senior tour. Maybe so, that's something I need. Maybe that's something I need, Ross. I've missed out him first part of my career. Yeah, I was just thinking <laughs> maybe I could have taken some. Take I've the deer belt. This might only be the first third of your career. We get a sponsor here, possibly. This could be a sponsor for us here, lads. <laughs> yeah, Aotearoa Rugby Pod brought to you by Sam Kane's Deer Velvet. Sam, deer deer velvet, velvet. send us some cash, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of other guys i mean i'm sure sam whitelock would enjoy the deer velvet as well he obviously had a pretty good comeback on the weekend jeff what did you make of him oh mate massive as always goes the 82 minutes too um he's a he's a he's an absolute workhorse you know what you expect from um sam and and the line outs and scrum uh he's really effective in the defensive breakdowns as well loves getting his turnovers loves a counter ruck um, and just played his part in what was a really exciting game and an exciting finish, obviously going to Golden Point. Uh, so, look, I think uh, he's he's not far off a gallop and he, he'll be certainly suiting up, I think, against the USA. Mm-hmm. And Dane Colesbrin, he also had a big part to play in that game. Yeah, he did. He had some great, he had some great carries and, um, you know, was had 11 tackles as well. So if you're talking around um, getting your mojo back in um, and doing the things that you need to do to be able to get ready to play international footy, you know, the likes of Sam playing 18 minutes and Dane, Dane playing 47 minutes, um, it, it sets them up really, really well. And so, you know, especially with a guy that of, of his age and understanding of, um, of what, it's play, what it is to play internationals and, you know, it was great for him to be able to get um, through some minutes and been able to get those repetitive efforts that Jibs talks talks around. You know, there's there's only so much running and stuff you can do with teams and training. It's that kind of stuff when you are getting on the field and being able to um, implement things that you have done at trainings and and your fitness and that stuff. So, yeah, it sets those three guys up really well. Sammy, um, both Sam's and and Dane to be able to um, put their best case forwards going into towards America coming up. So, do we expect shows- all of those guys to play that American game, Jipper? Yeah, absolutely, I do. I think it would be a great um, stepping stone into that end of year mm-hmm. tour. I just wanted to say that it just shows how much Colsey loves uh, to compete. I think uh, during the week I read that he was only supposed to have 40 minutes. And when I saw him trot out in the second half, I, I just started laughing. He's definitely just said, nah, mate, I'm going back on. I'm getting back out there because, you know, it was a tight tussle. And I think it was key for his side yeah. to have him out there a little bit longer. But, yeah, all those lads will uh, get a run. And, and, and I think... Um, Frizzell as well, he'll 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 get a run. I'm not too sure about Josh Lord. That might be an apprentice style yeah. um, sort of um, approach, but you never know. Uh, you know, with the locks uh, and, and how competitive it is, we haven't seen um, a lot of Tupo Vai, and and when he has played, he's been exceptional. Sam Whitelock coming back into the frame. Uh, so you know, there is probably an opportunity for a bench role, but there might also be an opportunity to carry two loose forwards and one that can cover um in, in that lock position just want to pop back to the idea of dan cole's going nah mate i'm going back on uh, at what point do you have the mana within the team where you can tell the coach uh, these are my rules and until you know i decide i'm coming off mate the coach would have wanted him out there there's yeah, so many times 100%. where the coach is probably told from medical staff oh only 40 minutes the coach would be going oh dane you're good you're good and then you know it'll just be him to say yeah i'm good i'm going another 10 or whatever well, look at look at look at Sam for example. He goes eighty-two minutes. You know, hasn't played that oh, much. Yeah. You know, hasn't played that much rugby. So I don't know whether that's just Sam saying, "I'm all good," and he's got the the okay to play eighty minutes. But you know, you usually see guys with those kind of um, minutes haven't played that much minutes transitioning that kind of 50, 60 minute mark. But it just comes back to the competitiveness, and you know, Wellington did bloody well to to win that game. You know, scoring a try just on on full time, and then uh, Peter Umanga Jensen um, scoring that try in the last minute. It was a um, it was a great game. Mm-hmm. While we were touching on, on who might play in the USA, do you guys have a look at that um, USA v Uruguay game where Uruguay came out on top and made the World Cup? They'll play the All Blacks in the World Cup, but probably more importantly, USA, having been you know kind of shown up by Uruguay, has now got to play the All Blacks, and mm. that could get messy. Mate, the, the Uruguay team was solid. Like They had some really mm. innovative attack. Um, a lot of bodies in motion, and um, they broke down the American defense with uh, the first try was it was a player that was hidden in behind the first receiver, and he, he came from the inside and popped out 
on his outside shoulder and, and took a gap there and then fast ball, um, they scored in the corner. And then a couple of other ones was just a, um, you know, as Bryn alludes to that downline, and then instead of hitting that player that runs that downline, a guy popping out again from a blind angle and getting the ball and going through a hole. Um, so mm. they, they, they played. And I sort of was expecting to go to this game and sort of expect a Georgia style, you know, set yeah. piece, strong defense, resilient. But, man, they, they've got game. Um, and, mm. and it was actually an exciting watch, and, and they're certainly passionate about it. A, an area of concern, I suppose, for them, they're quite vulnerable defensively, especially in the first leg against the USA um, on the edge, uh, broken, broken a number of times down there, and their scrum as well was a little bit sketchy. But outside of that, their breakdown work, um, their ability to move bodies and get that fast-paced ball and the willingness to attack, and, and I suppose the creativity of, of attack um, was certainly exciting. And then they even scored a try by rolling up their sleeves and going to that Georgia style that I was expecting. And um, I think that's another thing to add um, to what they showed is they sort of had that complete performance where they could go between the two game plans and, and mm. had the measure of the USA there. Yeah. And Bryn, the USA, uh, what kind of position does this lead them in going into, you know, the biggest test of their year? Yeah, it, it's not great, is it? But I think it, it's a it's a test to, a testament to you know Uruguay and how far and how, and how far they've come in that kind of American competition, how and how close it is. You know, you look you look at Chile, you know, the kind of results that they've had and the kind of success that they've had in probably the last twelve to twenty four months. And you're talking around Uruguay as well and the kind of way that they are playing. Chile's very was very very similar. I remember playing them back in 2018, their kind of style, creativity around their, their attack structures. Yes, they're not as kind of um, in-depth to like what the New Zealand and the kind of tier one nations are, but their ability to be able to create and have attack and then not just going back to that kind of um, set-piece kind of orientated like Georgia do, who've had success in the past in that kind of tier two with those two tier two nations. So, But I think for America, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be frustrating for them, I think, you know, but they still have an opportunity to, to try. To try um, but... Yeah, for someone that you'd probably think um, out of that kind of American positioning, that'd be probably the favourites that you think would want to go into a World Cup. But it's just coming back to it's great for the Americans, kind of that um, that competition that you know the likes of Uruguay, Chile, are improving to get better, and the kind of rankings between the, of those nations are very similar. So we talk around competitiveness in like the rugby championship, and you look at the um, the Six Nations, that kind of how level level playing field it is. It's great to see that the Chileans and the Uruguays, Uruguay, Uruguay, sorry, and America have that sign of kind of same um, world ranking together, and they have that competition to be able to play an expansive brand of rugby, and it's close, and you can go either way. Where we see Uruguay go back into the World Cup again. But you were playing I against that... Chile as a Maori or Black Wee? Yeah, in, in 2018. Yeah, we went over, and look, um, it, was, it was a great, a great occasion. I think um, you know we didn't know too much about it going over. Well, we went over there to go play them in Chile and we know that it's a football nation but you know we played in a packed in a packed stadium with how passionate they were in that South American feel like you know Argentina we talk about how passionate their fans are and the Chileans were, were exactly the same and the Uruguay Uruguay exactly the same as well so um they've continued to get better and even there were times we ended up you know dominating the game and winning by a large margin there were pockets in that in that game where they played really really well, and like you said, they have that flair. We talk around Argentina, that flair that they have when they play on top of teams and have that kind of um, that momentum. The Chileans were, were very similar, so um, it's great to see that since 2018, their their brand of rugby has, has got a lot better. And you know, like I said, it's only going to continue to get better with that competition and the fact that they're playing the Americans, they're playing the Ur Uruguay, and those kind of competitions, and they're actually at the same level uh, on the rankings as well. Ross, I actually think um, off the back of that loss for the for the states, the All Black Test has come at a perfect time because there's an expectation that they should win. There's a bit of pressure around that performance and preparation, whereas it's on the flip side for them now, and they can almost release the shackles and go into this test match and probably find their mojo a little bit on attack. They're a little bit ones and twosy and, and didn't really manipulate the defence to create opportunities. And then defensively, they were trying to solve issues on their own, uh, and that's how um, you know Uruguay made those uh, you know those breaks is by bodies in motion, guys running really um, disciplined decoy lines to create space, and their defence was trying to solve that in ones and twos and flying out and leaving their mate high and dry. So if they can sort their connection and their D system and go and solve the problems together and bring the same line speed and intent and not create the holes that. Against the All Blacks, they can probably get a bit of confidence going into 
their, their lead into trying to get to 2023. And I think also Ross as well, like takes take aside the the result, the outcome of what, what that game's going to be like. It's the fact they get an opportunity to play the All Blacks. You know, it's no different from if you think around the basketball terms. You know, the the, the Tall Blacks then end up playing the Americans in like a World Championship or kind of a qualifier kind of situation. It's having that opportunity to play with the best players in the world and, and test yourself. And so they have you're right, Jip. They have nothing to lose. They've got everything to gain. Um, they'll be the complete underdogs. And if anything, if the Americans with how they are and how passionate they are and um, they'll, they'll take it as a challenge and will want to embrace the challenge of playing the All Blacks in their home in their home stadium. And so they've had a couple of times in the past where um, the All Blacks have toured and played there. And you know, from words that you know I've heard from people playing in that uh, in those games, um, the Americans are so passionate and just love embracing the challenge of playing the you know the, the best, the, arguably the best team in the world. So that's going to be a great occasion for them, and, and you know they'll look forward to it 100. percent yeah, it sounds like a bit of fun for them. Uh, what is a, a pass mark for them, I suppose? Because, you know, the score will blow out a little bit because of the quality and the, the depth on the bench, et cetera. But, Chipper, if you were the USA, you know, where would you see a win? I think if they can get to half time in touch and it's it's tight, they'll probably lose Petra in the tank and the All Blacks will, will come over the top. But if they can keep it tight, not, not forgetting mm. that the All Blacks will be targeting that first 30 minutes because it's an area that they struggled against in the rugby championship. They created a lot but couldn't finish it. So they had that high error rate early in that 30 minutes. So they'll be looking to really nail that against the state. So if they can match them in that first 40 and you know keep themselves within sniffing distance um, and, and come up with a clear game plan, are they going to pick away at threes or are they going to go to the corner and chance their arm and just stick mm. to it for the whole 80? Um, and whatever the score is, the score is. But if... You know, I always thought if your fans will love you if you leave a little bit of yourself out there and, you, and you, you know, like you're just completely off your feet. And I think that's where they can gain the most. Mm. On the weekend, the Farrah Palmer Cup final, there was plenty left. There wasn't plenty left out there. In fact, it was a really, really good tussle, wasn't it? Um, unfortunately, there weren't any of the top level players. It's probably now a familiar site for the women's game, just like the men's game, and that you don't see the absolute elite play in the final of the domestic competition. But you know, Waikato came through at the end and they came through strong in that second half with a great forward pack over Canterbury who'd won the previous mm. four and probably were down some of their key players. Bryn, who impressed you the most out of that Waikato uh, women's team? Oh, Victoria Edmonds. She has to be, doesn't she? She has to be. Her, um, her end of, um, her end of um, game speech was um, was one of the classics and hopefully it gets on the Maddie John show or is um, shown pitches around... Um, Around the world, because it just showed how much it had meant to her and, and, and the passion that um, the Waikato women's team had. You know, they've had a lot of, you know, they lost that final last year, um, a really close one on the hooter. And, um, you know, to be able to come back and James Semple, you've talked about it, Jip, um, a good mate of ours, um, been able to, for their coaching staff to succeed down there and to, to win a game, you know. You know, I thought you're right, Ross, their, their forward pack really dominated that, that second half. You know, if you're talking around um, championship games and that, that, that second half, they just were in their, their 22, their five-meter line, just going ball carry after ball carry, making the defense of just keep continuing to ask questions of the of the, of the the Canterbury women's team. And to be honest, they probably could have gone with a yellow card, I thought, possibly with the amount of pressure that they did have, but um, it didn't come to that. Uh, but, you know, uh, but to say that Waikato would just be able to build pressure and just being able to, like, more so just take, take the take – the, the gas out of the Canterbury women's team because they were defending so much in that second half. And then, you know, even at the back end of the game, um, you know, Duplessis, um, no, not Duplessis, um, Grace Diamonds has that ball in the, probably the last couple of minutes and it just wasn't a good ball uh, from there from their second five. And so um, it was an enthralling match and, you know, had it all. And so, but I think for the Waikato women's team, they were deserving of winning that game. And, um, you know, probably the Canterbury team weren't as clinical as they usually are in those kind of moments. I think in the, probably the last three years, in those kind of tight situations, they've shown that they're um they're a world class team to be able to finish those games with the opportunities that they did have, and so that's where I thought probably the winning and the losing in the game was the Waikato woman how with how dominant they were in that second half, and then probably Canterbury just weren't as clinical as they usually have been. You know, and like you said, with not having Kendra Coxedge is probably really massive. You know, you're arguably the best player in the world with the women's rugby. Not having her there, I think um was a big was a big factor as well. I I think. There's a couple of factors to this victory, and a, and a lot of it does come in the first half. Like Canterbury started hot and scored mm. early, and then they that the the Waikato team actually tried to come out of their 22 and forced a few errors, um, and mm. then gave Canterbury more sustained possession. But towards that last 20 of that first half, Waikato were just living down the Canterbury end, but couldn't break down that defence, mm. and, and they went in behind at half time. 
and you sort of thought, oh, you know, it's a bit edgy here, but that actually did so much damage by sucking the petrol out of the, the Canterbury team that when Canterbury faced the same sustained pressure in the second half, they gave away way too many penalties. They got two yellow cards. Mm-hmm. And I reckon that was the making and breaking of the victory as those two yellow cards through the work that was mm-hmm. done in the first half. And I also think that the coaches inspired or something, the, the Waikato team came out and they were just possessed. You know, they were winning physical collision after physical collision and mm. they had that hot start and they just didn't let it go. They just kept coming and coming and, and they were relentless about it. And the wind, like they had that, that wind, they had to run out of their 22 in that first half because of how hard that wind, Bryn, you'd know it by training there pretty much yeah. every day. And then they turned around and they, they didn't always use the boot, but it allowed them to actually exit. And then they put their kick chase pressure on and then their game was too strong when those yellow cards came and they really dominated with their scrum and that created the two tries. One, obviously, a pushover and the other one, a, a pick off the back. So a, a really great time for for that Waikato um, team, especially for Semps. He's put a lot of work into that. Um, he just gets so much love from all those players, the way he coaches, the way he builds an environment for them to, uh, I suppose, live out the dreams um, to represent their community. And, and they're probably still celebrating now, to be honest. <laughs> I think um, one person as well, just from the Canterbury team that I was um, really impressed with, was Georgia Miller. Um, look, if you're talking around a fetcher of, of someone that can, um, an out-and-out seven that's going to get on the ball, uh, look, she was she was outstanding every single time. You know, she get herself in a position to win those ball, to win that ball back. And yes, some of them were for penalties and some of them for weren't, that weren't. But for me, that was one person that really impressed me with the ability of her to be able to, her jackal. I don't think I've seen a person, um, you know, in that kind of grade that's been able to be that dominant and has is so good technically um, over the ball. So, um, yeah, she's definitely one person. She's a young, young, young girl as well and that's come through that kind of Canterbury system as well. So, I definitely reckon she's going to be one girl that you want to um, keep an eye on going forward. Absolutely. And with Les Elder, I think is 34 years old. And while she has a huge amount of mutter and she's an incredible player, you, you wouldn't you know, put her into retirement. It shows that the person who's going to take over from her is there. We know who it's going to be, Jipper. Mm. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, I certainly, uh, you'd be a brave man to go and uh, tell Les that she might be time to hang up the boots. Um, you know, she's obviously leading the Black Ferns into this, this Northern Tour, but uh, it's good to have pressure. Especially as an older, um, I suppose, professional, uh, you can you you know people are coming through. You know people want that opportunity, um, and 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 it's great to have it at that grassroots level, um, filtering through into the black ferns. Mm. And from Waikato, I thought Teneti at centre. Goodness, she's got some ball carrying ability. Yeah, well, I think it was actually set up by the like. I always do this, and I, I know people probably get sick of it, but they were actually really <laughs> clinical at the breakdown. So to, to create um, the time and space to make good decisions and get the ball to width. Uh, and the mm. conditions were tough around the wind, uh, but certainly as an individual, she stood out and, and she was dominant in, in the carries and, and actually made some really good reads defensively. But I always, I always like to acknowledge the work that, um, I suppose, produces the fast ball to play off. <laughs> yeah, you'd be, you'd be kicked out of the forwards club if you didn't do it every single time. <laughs> That's why there's a halfback and a hooker. They're too, they're too, too much for every team. Speaking of which, you'll be yeah. kicked out of the family if you don't give your cousin Tom some props oh. for the way he played in the Bays, uh, winning the Ranfurly Shield on the weekend over Tasman. Oh, mate, he was exceptional. Like, um, Marino Michiele, too, probably his best game in a long time, you know, coming up against Shannon Frizzell. He's physical, he's dominant. Stacey Ely is another one continuing his form on from um, Manu Samoa and, and is, is really electric and has the ability of know when to give that pass, when to hold it, offloads. And, and a lot of those tries from long distance were created through him. But I think this Ranfurly Shield was one on defence, five tries to one. And and the big fella, TP, Tom Parsons, was exceptional. Twice under the sticks, he won the physical collision to get over the ball. And he must have been watching Brody Retallick around his approach around that breakdown because... The big fella is not short, and that is a long way to go for those turnovers and, and plenty of levers for people to aim at and clean, um, and he just did the business. He's He's been doing that for two-odd years, and you know I've been giving him raps on this pod for a long time, but you keep editing it out. So I'm really excited <laughs> that you brought this up, and you can leave this in. So Tom Parsons, outstanding big fella. Give us some oh, background on this guy, Jeff. 
he's, he's recently purchased his own farm. He's, he's grown up in the Waipakaro and, um, you know, had, has had a number of opportunities to, to move into super environments. But for someone like himself, he's got to balance it up between obviously running a farm and uh, looking for, uh, I suppose, his aspirations of being a full-time professional. And uh, that, that opportunity cost, I suppose, hasn't um, risen. But he did go over to uh, Japan and, and played some uh, some footy over there. I think it was for Toshiba. Um, so, you know, he has experienced a bit of footy and a, a bit of travel. Uh, but he, he's a no-mess man, mate. He just rolls up the sleeves, gets it done. And I sent him a text after the game. And I said, mate, that was a huge shift, you know, exceptional effort. Great to see you hold the shield. He just replied, cheers, lad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think, um... I, think that, I think that sums him up. I think it was quite good to see, Jeff. I don't know if you saw it, but him and Alex Nankabal seemed to have a really good tussle. Those two chipping, chipping away at each other and kind of getting one, one up on each other. So, um, yeah, look, I, I know um, I actually had him up in my notes as well, but I, I feel it's very um, it's very fitting that you'll be able to bring that up, Jeff, because you have been a massive advocate for him the last couple of years. But, yeah, I thought he was um, he was outstanding on the weekend. He was a talisman more so for them. And in crucial moments as well, like you said, putting your head in a dark place, multi-phases, and be able to have a big play in Ranfurly Shield games where... Predominantly, it's, it's but a lot of it's based around big defensive efforts. And look, he was at the forefront with that with Makali Tau as well. I thought was outstanding. Probably his best performance, like you said, um, with um, you know not playing a lot in Super Rugby, uh, but you know this kind of campaign in the Bunnings NPC, he was he was immense. And, and in Flanders as well, I'm a massive a massive fan of Flanders. How abrasive and physical he is. You know, he top he, he he's in that kind of topping the tackle count every single week, and is great over that turnover point as an explosive uh, runner as well. So. Uh, but there is one person I think that has kind of played really well during these kind of uh, first couple of games is, is Eddie Anadi. You know, you think around Falau Fakatava, who was was awesome for them last year and was a massive part of their campaign to be able to get their forwards going forward. And you know, Eddie hasn't had a lot had a lot of opportunities due to the fact of being down in Canterbury and with the Crusaders and that. But you know, I think he's been really good for them to be able to have um, show his his ability and how what 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 there was so much talk about him early on in his career for, through the under twenties program and so. You know, his distribution, his kicking game is getting a lot better with those kind of contestables that um, tends to be uh, really crucial for these for the halfbacks moving forward now. But I've been really impressed with his ability to be able to play on top of teams, his pass, and even um, little 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 touches here and there to be able to put people as well, away as well. So um, if he continues to go like that, um, it's going to set himself up really well and looking forward to see where a Super Rugby opportunity might come, possibly in um, Wana Pacifica, who knows, with that um, Samoan and uh, Samoan heritage. There, yeah, there was obviously um, two sides on the field, and I, I do want to take time to acknowledge something that, that I picked up, and it was uh, the, the game management of Mitch Hunt. So in mm. that earlier, in those early exchanges, like the Hawks Bay pack were just dominant. Like they were dominating every collision, and, and they couldn't play off that front football that they used to, Tasman. So Mitch Hunt, obviously Quinton Strange going off early was a big factor um, and, and that, you know, bringing on Hugh Renton into that lock position, they they, they looked to uh, Gwyneth Strange a lot as, as their leader. Um, him going off early was a fact, but Hunt just took over and they chipped away at three. And the probably the only reason it didn't work for them is that they couldn't exit. They kept making errors in their own half when they exit, but it kept them in the game. So he knew they were getting physically dominated. So rather than going to the corner, he... he... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
managed that game perfectly to keep them in the hunt and to go to half time, you know, only five points behind was a massive effort on his behalf as the leader to take the points and, and chip away at that um, scoreboard. And then an, another guy that was really impressive, and although the pack probably didn't dominate, was Shannon Frizzell. His physicality and his his energy on the park was massive. So two guys for Tasman that are important um, and, and played a massive part in keeping them in touch. But as I said before, those five tries to one it just was always going to be too much. Sorry, Ross. Um, no, I just think also just for Tasman as well. I don't know if you saw saw Jip, but um, you know traditionally you look at the kind of Tasman face play structure, very similar to the Crusaders, and Andrew Goodman has that involvement with the Crusaders, and it just seemed a lot on the on their face play attack. Even if they went out the back, a lot of guys were missing lines. They were running over each other. They weren't as um, deliberate, and the, the, the attention to detail in their face play on the edge attack wasn't to what they usually are. So it was a lot easier for them to defend um, Hawks Bay to be able to defend and put them under pressure. So. Um, so, you know, Tasman are probably going to look back at that and probably want to um, rectify a few of those things because, look, um, when they do get that good go for ball and everybody understands their role within that attack shape, it's really hard to defend. You know, you talk around the Crusaders, the Blues run it as well, and even the All Blacks run that kind of similar 3-2 shape or a variety around that. Um, I just saw one thing there that was with um, Tasman, which is just a little bit off. So uh, moving forward, I think, you know, because, again, you know, they, you know, knowing Andrew Goodman, those um, they haven't had many shoot opportunities, and so... Um, whether that was a, a factor around um, the nerves and not of not playing that kind of high pressure game, because I think Tasman as well, they have like a uh, 15 of the last 17 away games they've won away from home. So I don't know if that's the right set, but so it's around that kind of ballpark. So going away from home isn't isn't a problem for them. So um, it'll be interesting to see what their review is and um, if they can rectify a few things that they did on the weekend, which they probably thought was a lost opportunity for them to to win the shield, just with how well I've been saying that it was just with how well Hawks Bay they, they won that shield. They didn't um, they didn't lose it. Um, the reason why their, their attack structure struggled and guys are missing lines, you know what it's like when there's a little bit of bobble ball or it just slows up mm. um, in that breakdown area? And guys like Brendan O'Connor, Devin Flanders, uh, Mickey too, Parsons, um, even Cridge was in there. You know, Ash Dixon's mm. good over the ball. And they're all looking for those turnovers at breakdown. And they really put a concerted effort either to go for it or they just keep counter-rucking. They keep coming at you and it, it just... I suppose stems your flow on attack because you're not getting that that pristine ball that uh, I suppose that um, Anari was getting for for the Hawks Bay team that set them alight from deep. They seemed to make wonderful decisions with ball in hand debate, didn't they? Because it wasn't like there weren't Tasman defenders there when they were breaking, especially in the first twenty minutes. But the decision to go inside or outside to the appropriate defender and that—I mean, to the appropriate support player—and there were lots of support players—just made the bay almost impossible to handle, Brent. Mm. No, it was. I think if you look at that kind of first half, uh, it was just it was impressive. You know, going out from um, you know, like um, the one where Eddie and Adi gave that ball, and they went down the sideline, gets a return back, and they kind of score off that kind of phase of play. It just seems that um, you know they know exactly where the ball is going to be, and so that, that's a confident team. And I think it's look at the guys that are, that are playing there at the moment, especially especially in their back line, the continuity and those guys playing together a lot. A lot of them have come through that kind of system. Um, for a long time now and so that cohesion you talk around cohesion and continuity of playing with the same players those kind of things happen because you know you've got that confidence of someone that you've played with and have an understanding where they might be or where they might break or what they're thinking and so it just looks like that with Hawks Bay at the moment they look real confident in what they're doing and everybody's on the same page and you've got to you know give a big big pat on the back to that coaching staff there because you know they've recruited really well not only just this year but probably the last three or four years and this has been building I mean, you've got a guy like Ash Dixon and a couple of leaders in there that have that have been around there and have a good understanding around that environment. Um, it just seems to be working in, in their favour at the moment. And, um, yeah, it's really exciting to see Hawks Bay, and especially coming up from that championship, it seems like they're one of the, the top contenders in that, in that premiership now being up there. So, Bryn, for you guys, obviously, there was announced at the end of last week that um, you weren't going to be in the NPC this season. What does it look like for you now over the next few weeks? Yeah, it's um yeah, it was tough news to hear. I think not only for us as a as a club, but I think for Auckland and counties as well. Um, you know, especially when you're working um you know tirelessly away and um having the hopes to be able to come back and play in the Bunnings NPC. Um, yeah, it was disappointing for unions and um yeah, it's, we know the reasons why. It's, it was tough. There was a lot of things done behind the scenes to try and get us there, but um it just didn't work. And so, I guess for us, it's just kind of waiting and figuring out what this, these kind of levels are going to go, uh, what, what it's going to be announced, and then. Um, continually, you know, Jipper and the Players Association and the NZRU will continue to work together to try and get us on the field. So, whether that's 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 possible, um, you know, we'd like to think so. Um, you know, it could be 
don't know what that competition is going to look like if it's against Auckland Counties and Harbour and we end up playing a home and away series or it's anything like that. I'm not too sure what, what the competition might look like for us. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's disappointing. But again, we know that there was a lot of hard work behind the scenes to try and get us on the field. And um, just unfortunately, it didn't happen for us. But um, I think it gives more clarity for the other teams as well. It makes it fair for them and to be able to concentrate on on their competition, even though it's at, um, it's at a disadvantage for us not being in the competition. But it gives them um, the opportunity to, to continue with on, on without us. But you know, hopefully we get to play some rugby um, in the next coming weeks, hopefully. What are the options here, Jipper, for those three provinces? Yeah, look, I think the next week's really critical um, and, and, and working out whether uh, I suppose we can, one, get them training um, rugby-specific stuff um, and, and building towards, you know, hopefully a super city comp that, you know, can be fought uh, between the three provinces and, and give them some meaningful footy to finish out their year. Um, and then outside of that, um, if, if that's not possible, then, you know, decisions will have to be made or, or around what, what we can do after, after that. But I, that's the biggest thing that we're working towards at the moment is trying to get the Super City comp up and running um, so we can get some meaningful rugby for the players because they're obviously, you know, all disappointed and, um, you know, pretty gutted that they can't uh, rejoin the NPC. Uh, but as Bryn alluded to, uh, we thought we had a pretty good case to move three teams out um, safely in their own bubble and, uh, unfortunately, you know, the governments or otherwise. Mm. So for you, Bryn, you're down in Christchurch at the moment. You just wait and see and you come up to North Harbour if and when it happens. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's it. It's just, yeah, it's trying to trying to stay fit as, as long as you can. It's, it's really easy down here in Christchurch. We're, we're fortunate enough to be in Level 2 and a lot of those Auckland boys are, are still in Level 3. So for me personally, it's a lot easier to be able to um, train with the academy boys down here and then um, being able to get to a gym and being able to go to fields without really worrying about um, that Level 3 kind of guidelines and, and rules. So, yeah, I'll continue to keep playing fit and a couple of our other boys are in, are in different spots as well. But, um, yeah, I think more so for our boys back home, it's been able to um, give them the clarity that they need to be able to um, stay fit, stay motivated, and you know the sooner the better they can find out that competition. It's going to make it easier to to continue to continue for our boys to stay fit and motivated to to play some meaningful rugby. Hopefully, in the next coming weeks. Oh, the Koro, are you down there? Oh well, mate. I'll tell you what. It's yeah. It's amazing how time flies, man. These kids are just so enthusiastic and um, just have got a lot of energy. So. Yeah, it's been actually been really nice being able to come down here and um, train with those boys and, and help out where I can. There's a lot of great young men coming through. And yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to identify them. And, um, you know, it wasn't too long ago. Well, in my mind, it, it doesn't seem that too long ago. But it, it was a little bit long ago now. But yeah, been able to give back and um, at the same time help them through whatever, whatever I can, um, talking to them. And then at the same time, keeping fit and been able to keep um, the body moving and, and getting ready to hopefully rugby at the back end of this year. Just right now, now Brendan's been. Bryn's being very modest there, mate. Like he, he could potentially move into coaching when he finishes his career because no, no one works harder with other halfbacks in any squad I've played with this guy. Like he, he keeps high standards for himself, but man, he he passes on his knowledge and, and upskills the guys below him that are that are you know snapping at his heels. Because I, I think the one thing about Bryn, he's not afraid of that competition. He almost wants it. He needs it, and, and he feels um, you know bringing the the halfback group along. Um, uh, is pretty important to what he can add to a team. So him having the ability to do that for the Canterbury Academy guys, as much as he'll be getting out of it, they'll be they'll be soaking up plenty, no doubt. It's an interesting point. You mentioned Ed Anade before, you know, and it feels to me like at the moment, halfback is one of those positions where you've got to do the time. You know, you think of him, you think of Finlay Christie, guys who've done the rounds and had to wait their turn, Bryn. Um, there's so much depth around. You've really got to soak up the knowledge of everyone around you. Yeah, it is. And the funny thing about our position is that we're just so competitive. You know, Chip will probably attest to this. You know, every single halfback that you know is just that competitive and wired differently. And so I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, but for some reason it just seems to be that every halfback's like that. And so... Yeah, it is. And I think um, for Eddie, um, and it's so different from young guys coming through, um, you know, you, you start really well within your career. New Zealand in the 20s, he was fantastic and had a great campaign. I think it was early on in his career when Mitch, when Drummy um, had broken his leg and played as a 19-year-old straight out of school. And so Razor signed him in the, in the Crusaders team. And then, you know, just the fact that, you know, Drummy and I, um, we didn't have a lot of injuries during that time and um, consistently tried to push each other and put in good performances between the both of us. It probably didn't give Eddie a chance. And so, you know, a lot of players can 
take that one or two ways, you can get frustrated with that and then your performance can, can go down. And uh, But with Eddie, I think the greatest thing about him is that he's had an opportunity through going to Hawke's Bay and being a number nine. And not, not really, not to say that there isn't depth in that position in Hawke's Bay, but with the fact that Falao fakatava has gone and he's playing consistent uh, consistent minutes, he just hasn't had that. You know, for four, four and a half years, he'd play Crusaders, wouldn't play that much. He'd go into the Canterbury environment, you know, Drummy would end up playing a lot of those minutes and Eddie didn't get a chance to to start and be able to to play well because I think early in his when he even he played for the Crusaders he started a couple of games and he's that kind of guy that needs to be able to play games and it's probably a little bit harder for him to play off the bench so you know he might need to continue to be able to improve his role when he is coming off the bench but look when he starts and he knows when he's starting you know you're looking at the scenes of what he is in, in, in Hawks Bay at the moment and so he's really taken his opportunity and taken it to another level with his his playing and he's probably gaining a lot more confidence to being able to play in figure out and have time in the saddle in that position at, at professional rugby. And so it's just going to be interesting to see what Super Rugby is going to look like for him. You know, there's a lot of uh, competition in nines around the country and it's probably a lot of positions they've taken. So, you know, that minor Pacifica could be a really good opportunity for him if that is the opportunity he does go that way. It'd be a great signing for that team, especially with a nine who's still young, but has great potential and great upside moving forward. Mm. Carrying on that theme of game time, let's look over the Tasman at what's just happened with the Wallaby squad, the 37-man squad that's heading up to the Northern Hemisphere. I think they start in Japan before going into Europe. We've seen some players left out of that squad. Harry Wilson, uh, Noah Lolisio, Fraser McWright, and these are guys who are essentially being left behind who everyone thought was, well, these are the guys that they're building for the future, Jipper. Um, it's an interesting call from Dave Rennie to say, hey, you guys have got some things to work on. Stay behind, work on your fitness and work on your skills and you're still in the line for the future. Yeah, look, I think um, there's one thing Dave really knows and that's developing players and bringing them along in, in their career and, and, and I suppose giving them the opportunity to be the best that they can be uh, for a sustained period of time. Um, and, and, and he's also sending a message, I believe, um, which, is, which is key in this new Wallabies team, um, is nothing's given. Nothing's guaranteed. Um, everything's earned, and 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 that's a, it's a big factor um, in creating depth and, and I suppose a want to stay in the Australian Super environment to give yourself an opportunity to represent the Wallabies, who, who seem to be trending in a direction um, of of improvement and potentially you know setting themselves to be contenders in 2023. And I don't want to put that pressure on them because it's not fair, uh, and, and they won't think they're there yet, but. These are the sort of signs and, and I suppose the characteristics and changes in the mindset of the squad um, that, that could be key. Um, and, and we don't, uh, Bryn might be able to allude to this a little bit more, but I think when you're young, you need a big off season, a big lead up. And, and, and I think they probably haven't had that for a number of years because they've been in that Wallabies squad and, that, and you know, you do need that mental break. So I think this gives them that mental break because not not forgetting how much MIQ and travel they've had to do to play these test matches. Mm. We heard about it when the Perth one was was paused, how, how frustrated it was for them because they feel like they've been on a road a long time. So a little mental window, mental break. But he's also sent them away with stuff they need to improve on. And, and it, so it's like, yep, you, you refresh, but your game needs to improve if you want to get back in this team. And then on the flip side, it gives them an opportunity to, I suppose, bring in some experience from overseas to replace them, um, you know, and, and Arnold, Skelton and, and Latu who have played a lot of rugby in Aussie, now a lot of rugby um, up in Europe, and, and their experience that they can bring against these, um, I suppose, Northern Hemisphere teams are huge. And, and by huge, I don't mean in terms of passing on knowledge, but also in mass, size, and, and getting that dominance in those collision areas and in and, and an area that, seems to have been you know, really perfected since Dave Rennie's been in there, their willingness to commit to those breakdowns, their mall defence against the spring box, uh, their line-out and scrums improving um, each game. So those three men will only add to that and, and, and pass on a lot of knowledge that they can bring back um, into their super squads going into next year. Yeah. Another guy, I'll give you another chance to pump someone up, Jibber, just because that's the trend of the show today. You have gone on about Parisi, Isaiah Parisi, for a while now. Um, mm -hmm. He's back in the squad. Where does he fit into this midfield? Look, I think, he, you know, Ikitel can't play every game every minute. You know, he's played, probably played a lot more minutes than he was expecting. 
and, 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 he's, and he's built up a really good relationship um, with, with Samu Karevi there. They probably don't want to play Samu Karevi every minute either. So there is an opportunity in the midfield for him. Um, you know, I think uh, Forketi as well is going on tour. I'd love to see him get a crack because I think he was really good um, for, for Parisi and, and, and making good decisions and setting him alight. So I think if, if Fouquetti and Parisi can match up in the midfield, it's that cohesion factor that we know so well after speaking to Ben Darwin, uh, and, and they'll know each other inside and out, and, and it'll bring the best out of them. But also, if he can link up with Karevi, I, I think will be massive um, for his game. What he can learn off him you know, during the week, but also you know, mixing and mingling with him in a test match would be massive. And, and I don't think it'd be too foreign with where, where fullback looks like if there's an injury that he pops up on the wing. You know, you know he's got a real big power game, sort of like Rico Ioane. He can go between that centre wing position quite quite easily, I believe. Hmm. Well, what about fullback then, Bryn? Uh, no Kirtley Beal in the squad. You've got a few options there. You've got Hodge, you've got O'Connor, you've got Callaway. Obviously, with Lola Seal not there, maybe O'Connor stands as more of a 10 option. I'm not sure. What do you think and how do you think that'll go? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's all three options there. And I think, look, I'd probably keep Callaway on the wing just with how well he's playing in those in that position and what he gives that team. We t- we've talked around a lot, his animation and his roving ability to be able to do that. He could do that off 15, but I just would think the form that he is in, in the wing, both both sides, 11 or 14, it's probably the best position for him to, 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 to stay there. And so I actually love like, James O'Connor, the thought of having James O'Connor there I and mean, what he can bring. Um, even though he's had little, little time coming off the bench um, in the 10 role, but... You talk around the two pivots, and we've talked around it a lot with the All Blacks around you know Richie and Damo, and then obviously Geordie and Bodie. Um, the ability to have two ball makers like that, I think it's gonna it'll bring their game uh, to light. And because of what I mean around that is that you know when you have two tens that have the ability to be able to run a game, have a good understanding, it's gonna make your team a lot better. And so we've talked around the improvements that they've made on the edge, the edge attack, um, with how with the, how well they've done previously post the All Blacks. I think having him in there, having another, having another general in there, and especially if you're going to see the likes of Parisi and the, the young guys that are going to come through, the more game management players you can have out there who have a good understanding around the roles and can put players into position and communicate really, really well, that's what James O'Connor can do. But then you've also got Reese Hodge who played well in that last test match as well. If he can keep continuing to, to get better in his aerial game and taking those high balls, because that's what's probably going to be coming in the Northern Hemisphere, um, he could be a guy that they, they stick with just due to the fact that he's a lot taller and a bit bigger than James O'Connor, but you know, I'd love to see James O'Connor to be to be in there, possibly against that Japan. That Japan game could be an opportunity for him to do that. Um, but they've got two good positions with Reese Hodge, who's who's played a, lot, a couple of Test matches, and, um, and then you've got James O'Connor as well, who's got that that kind of dual pivot role, which could help if they do have those young inside pairings of the midfielders that um, Jeffrey talked around those players. What about Jordan Pattaya, Jipper, uh, the prodigal son? You know, we've seen him on the wing. We've seen him in the midfield. Apparently, he quite likes the look of fullback. Where does he fit into this Wallaby squad in the short term and the long term? Yeah, look, I think his last performance um, on the on the wing for against Argy was, was big. And I think giving him some consistent footy in one position um, is key for his development, moving him around a multiple position. He's, he, as I think Dave Rennie alluded to, he'd like to see him at fullback at super level before uh, throwing him out there at, at an international level. Uh, and I think his, he's, he's very fit, he's very energetic, and, and he's really good off the ball. And we've alluded to the importance of the wingers in the newfound uh, Wallabies attack structure of them roving and, and being in and around that breakdown off nine um, if there's an opportunity around the heart defence or creating that extra man um, on a same way play by working from their, their, their blind wing to the open wing um, and, and creating space for others or getting the ball themselves and scoring tries, what we saw um, uh, Callaway and, and Cotton Betty do so well as well. So I, I think he's best placed for this tour on the wing. With all of that said, what have we got? We've got Japan, Scotland, England and Wales for the Wallabies. Brent, what's a pass mark here for them? Is it a clean sweep is the only pass mark? Oh, I think the fact that they've just had, you know, four good test matches and been able to win there, I think that'll be be a goal of them. But I think more so for them and knowing, no, not knowing Dan Reddy, but just through the way that he's, he's played and his players, talking to players, that he wants to see probably a growth every single week in every single game that they are playing. So, you know, you talk around the solutions that they had in the All Blacks test matches and then been able to play against South Africa and Argentina. 
So it's probably just going to be a continuation of that. And what they have done really well is that they've married up two of their styles really well. When they do have the ball and attack, it's been able to be clinical when they have those opportunities to be able to score when they have the points, whether that be off the boot, like we saw Quade Cooper getting those three points and accumulating scoreboard pressure, or when they are down there and like what Gypsy with their new phase attack and being able to rove and ask questions of the defense, it's going to be a flow on from them being able to execute under pressure against you know the likes of Wales and England, who have traditionally good defensive teams. And so, but then knowing that they are going to the the, uh, the northern hemisphere and they are they do kick a lot, so. The, the lessons that they've played against the South Africans, being able to marry up the, the the game between playing a nice, fast attack, trying to have a little look if it's not on, then going back to your contestable games or Quade Cooper kicking down the middle of the field and being able to exert pressure and build pressure through not playing in your own half and giving away penalties or the intercepts that we saw against the All Blacks. So I think that's what they'll see. They'll obviously have an idea. They'd love to go four from four in that, in that series, but I think it's just a continuation of whatever game they are playing between the two styles and marrying that up and then just being able to execute under pressure and continue to be real clinical like they were in that last four, those last four weeks of the four wins they've had in the test matches. And consistency, Jipper, is that the other thing for them? Because that's probably be where they've been lacking whenever they've gone to Europe in the past is a week-in, week-out consistency the way that you see from the All Blacks when they tore up north. I, I think consistency is key to keep that, um, I suppose, competition and depth um, relevant in the squad. Because if they don't have that consistency, then they've got to go to that best 23 every week. And that, that struggles to bring that competitive edge during the week to then allow them to flourish when, when given an opportunity. Uh, so I, I think three out of four, they'll be going for four out of four. Um, but, but obviously their big tests um, will, will come against you know, you know, Scotland, Wales and England. Um, and if they drop one of those games, look, it's not the end of the world. Um, but I, I think it, it does... Uh, set them up nicely going into uh, next season if, if they can get away with four out of four. A little bit closer to home, Aaron Major, the uh, Moana Pacifica coach. Um, I think everyone kind of saw that coming. I'm not sure it was one of the worst kept secrets in the country that he was going to be the guy. Um, but Bryn, you know, obviously he's been through a little bit. He came back here as, you know, the next big coach and then he had his struggles with the Highlanders and then he moved on. Yeah, this is a really important chance for Aaron Major, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's come at a good time with him. If you think around his his coaching his coaching pedigree, he's been full on pretty much since he's finished up his rugby career and was a successful playing career as well. And so when you're continually, you know, he was at um, over in the Northern Hemisphere, comes back to the Highlanders, and so it's just been all full on. And reading a piece about him, you know, he had had that time to be able to step away and felt like it's a really good opportunity for him to come back and coaching, feeling refreshed and rejuvenated. And so, you know, what a great opportunity to be able to, you know, be the inaugural coach, the very first coach of something so special, Moana Pacifica, who, you know, he's got their heritage behind him as well, been able to be the focal point and the leader of that program. And so um, I think it's a great opportunity for him. It's a great time for him to, to be able to uh, reinvent himself and come back into an environment where it can be all, it can be his and he can run it how he wants to. And so, um yeah, he was the, the obviously coached um, that minor Pacifica team when they played the New Zealand Maldives, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And so we'd have a good understanding of what that cultural aspect looks like. And even though they were in camp for only a week, um, we have a good understanding of what that what that kind of group needs and can bring the best out of them. And so, yeah, it's a great opportunity for him and just kind of looking forward to, to seeing who their signings are because a lot of those guys are going to be from New Zealand and a lot of those guys are playing in that NPC um, competition at the moment. So he's going to have some good cattle, but I think at the same time... It, um, being realistic around what those aspirations are for that group, probably the first year out. First year out. Jibber, I thought I was trying to think about how you can compare what he's about to do with any other coaching position in the country, and and it it's kind of difficult to compare it to anything because brand new players, brand new coach, brand new environment. Maybe only maybe an age group team could work in the way that they're going to have to work right from the start with people being relatively unfamiliar. Um, how big of a challenge is that? Oh, look, it's definitely a big challenge starting up um, a new super uh, squad uh, and, then, and then especially coming into a competition as, as, as hard as the, the Trans-Tasman um, Super Rugby will be um, with, with the improvement of the Aussie sides as we're seeing at international level. That'll filter down to them and, and we know the high-octane footy that the, the five Super Rugby teams like to play um, here in New Zealand and then Fiji and Dura as well. Um, you know, with their success at the Olympics and, and their ability to play and have flair in the 15s game will be exciting as well. So it's definitely not an easy task. 
One thing I'd say about Aaron Major is, as we're seeing with the players that have come out of that Crusaders era, um, with Leon McDonald and, and Scott Robinson, is you know their willingness to learn and adapt and, and improve, um, and and he'll take a hell of a lot away from his experience at the Highlanders. And also, I don't think their game plan will be too dissimilar. Like the Highlanders love to play up tempo, they love that kicking strategy play down there, but they're under the roof, so they do get the opportunity to play a hell of a lot. And I think that's key that um, we see that the Moana Pacifica flair with the balance of playing that territory-based game. And if they can get the right people in the squad, I think he's actually a really good fit for them starting out and, and finding their identity as a team to then go and execute for a sustained period of time. Mm. Yeah, getting that team that he needs might not happen first year either, will it, Brent? It might take him a couple of years to get the right people because most of the people are already taken. Yeah, it is, and I think that's probably the challenge that that he will have. Um, it's been able to not have the, you know, if you're looking around the other Super Rugby franchises, the amount of, um, you know, I guess depth and kind of backing that they do have. But I think, you know, he'll take, he'll love that. He'll take it as a challenge, and, and understanding that, you know, they have the Moana Pacifica um, team has been able to give, you know, the Pacific Islanders uh, an opportunity to be able to express themselves, and you know, we've talked around how much they've given to the New Zealand public and and world and worldwide. So, I think, you know, it's going to be a great opportunity for them, and I think, you know. It is going to be tough. Like, let's be let's be honest. It's probably not going to be to the extent of like a New Zealand rugby team and how successful they could be. Look, they could, um, but it's going to be a tough job for for them to be able to do that. But I think you know it's important to be able to have a have a plan and a goal for what that's going to look like long term. And uh, you know, hopefully, they've got the ability to be able to uh, continue and better. Aaron will be able to build that group. You know, not just one to two years. It's a five year plan, and so you can see the continuation of that team getting better. You look at the Hagwares who came into the competition and struggled the first couple of years, but stuck at it and then end up then end up playing in a super rugby final against the crusaders in 2019 so you know they just they do need the backing and they need they need to be able to be here for a long period of time to be able to make the improvements and be able to bring those those better players and those, the caliber high caliber players like they do and like you see in the super rugby franchises around new zealand the fijian and drew have been building their squad over the last little while Jipper, you know their names just being littered out bit by bit by bit who's impressed you most from the team that they're building Oh, I think it comes as no surprise. It's Rotabe <laughs> from uh, Bay of Pliny, the, the, the Bay of Pliny flyer. Uh, he he is just um, something special. And I think the other key signing for him and all the other players that they've announced is Mick Byrne as head coach. Um, I've had a bit of time under Mick and, and his uh, discipline of training skills and, and, and making you a better player than when you came in is huge. And I think that's massive for... Um, Ratave as well like you can see that raw talent and you don't want to coach that out of them but you can see it can be even better if it's harnessed in the right environment now I think I think Mick Byrne becomes a key factor in their success and making sure that they too uh, uh, play with their style and their flair but they come up with systems and structures that you know we saw the physicality of the Fijian defense use that as a weapon use that as their identity uh, and and also you know making sure that they get their kicking structures right. They don't always chance their arm that gives opportunities to the other teams. So those two men for me are probably the most exciting that I've heard so far. What about you, Brent? <laughs> oh, he's good. God, he's good. Yeah, I had those I had those two actually as well. Oh, yeah, I think I, I agree with you, especially around Mick Byrne. I think Mick Byrne is a great is a great sign in there because, you know, our time at the Blues, for me personally, not knowing him before um, I was at the Blues, his actually, for a guy that wasn't accustomed to being a rugby player, obviously played Aussie rules, his attention to detail and understanding of the game, if you're talking around kicking, Jip, at exiting, exiting structures, and I think that's going to be an important part for the for that team moving forward because look, we know their physicality. You look at the scenes when they played the All Blacks and their flair and their breakdown ability and being able to play um, a, a physical style. But I think that balance, we talk a lot, a lot of balance in international game at the moment, and Mick Burns got a really great understanding around the exit structures and a kicking game plan to be able to implement that with them moving forward, which I think is going to be massive. Um, and I think, you know, you look at him, he went from the All Blacks and then went into that Blues environment and probably would have learned a lot in that Blues environment. You think around a lot of Pacific Islander men were in that team and been able to um, understand how they work and been able to understand personalities and getting, getting the best out of them. Because I think you go from the All Blacks environment where, you know, it's, it's world class and, you know, the expectation is you come in there great and you perform great at a high level consistently. Whereas you move down to the Blues and understanding, you know, the, the provincial unions and Harbour, Northern, um, and Auckland and understanding that, you know, it's not to that extent and you've got to get the player, get those players to play at an ability 
where they feel comfortable. And so understanding when he was in that Blues environment has been able to uh, get the best out of the Pacific Islander players, which is going to be very similar going to that Fijian team. Um, I think that experience of the Blues is going to be massive for him moving forward. And taking the learns that he had in that environment and then being able to go into that Fijian environment, um, keeping to their culture and what they're all about and understanding what that looks like for, for them, but then also giving that attention to detail and that balance uh, moving forward, which is going to be really important um, in the Super Rugby uh, competition next year. It's almost Ted Lasso-like. Um, <laughs> an Aussie rules guy. Although, I mean, he's really done the time, hasn't he? Um, but it, it's amazing to think that we currently have one of the top first-class coaches in this competition never played rugby. I mean, that's mind-blowing, isn't it, Jipper? Like, that's, that's a hell of a thing. It is, but, but man, he knows discipline and he knows what it takes um, through, through his experience in another code. Um, and, and I think he saw an opportunity for, for the way he saw our game and, and how the skills could be bettered or, or, I suppose, evolve. And he wanted to be part of that evolution. And, and, and he's, he's done pretty well, hasn't he? You know, obviously, he's had some successful times with the All Blacks and some successful times with the Wallabies as well. And, and no doubt he'll be looking for the same here. Yeah, 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 really great story. We need to get him on Sky for a Playmakers at some point soon because his backstory is, is an absolute cracker. And I found him very easy to deal with. He spent that time at the Wallabies right. as well, which would have helped him. I was just going to say, he'll be up for it. He, he, he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll be up for it. He, he's not short of a word, old Mickey. <laughs> he'll give you too. some purling <laughs> stories, man. He'll, be, um, he'll give you some purling stories. Jeez. But he's one of those guys that you could listen to all day, you know, like he's just got yarn after yarn. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm sure his players will get plenty of that. And uh, hey, everyone, that's probably us for this week on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Plenty more good action coming up in the NPC. And then the week after that, we get back into some international rugby. So thank you very much to James Parsons, as always. Bryn Hall as well. Cheers for all of your analysis again, guys. And um, we'll see you again next week. And by then, maybe Bryn Hall will have an even bigger beard. <laughs> Thanks, mate.